0: Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we are going to explore, question examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. Hi, I'm Bob Wheeler from The Money Nerve. Welcome to Week 5, March Money Mindset. Did you know our mindset is the key to having a healthy relationship with money? Our mindset colors everything, even if we don't even see it. The more we can get in touch with our own emotional responses towards money, the more we can calm and manage our money jitters. This week, we are continuing our mission to help you have a more focused, intentional and conscious mindset. Our signature online course, Mastering the Emotions of Money, will help you create a more fearless relationship with your finances. You'll learn how to identify and change negative thoughts and feelings about money so that you can feel confident about what's coming in and going out. This course will teach you how to take control of your financial life. For this week only, we have reduced the price, and you can enroll in Mastering the Emotions of Money for $95. That's a huge savings off our regular price. To learn more or enroll, visit themoneynerve.com forward slash fresh start 2021 and begin transforming your relationship with money. You're welcome to share this offer with anyone that you know who needs help with their money mindset. And a big thank you to all of you who participated in the Fresh Start 2021 Challenge. I hope that you were able to get more conscious and aware of your money habits. And I hope you found a few more dollars in your wallet. Well, I'm excited today. Our next guest, Art Bell is a writer and former media executive known for creating, building, and managing successful cable television channels. His memoir, Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor, tells the story of how, while a financial analyst at HBO, he pitched the idea of a network that he helped then help develop and launch. Art went on to hold senior executive positions in both programming and marketing at Comedy Central. After leaving Comedy Central, he became president of Court TV, where he was a guiding force behind one of the most successful brand evolutions in cable television. In addition to writing, he plays piano and jazz drums. He currently resides in Greenwich, Connecticut and Deer Valley, Utah, with his wife. Art, I'm super excited to have you here.
1: I'm so happy to be here.
0: Well, you know, I, I'll just start off with, I was excited because uh, Comedy Central, like yes. everybody knows Comedy Central and it certainly evolved over the years. Um, but you're sitting there, you're an HBO analyst, financial analyst, which is probably the most exciting part of television. I'm guessing. I, found,
1: I found it to be, yes.
0: <laughs> and then you came up with this idea. So while you were there, so you were sort of an entrepreneur, but you were working a day job, but you still had – passion like what how did this all happen
1: well it starts when i was a kid yeah i mean i was i loved comedy i was fascinated yeah. by comedy i thought man how did these guys you know watching comics on the ed sullivan show uh you know alan king richard Pryor, those guys were on yeah. the sullivan show and i watched them and i thought what a great gift to be able to make people laugh and i was about eight years old when i figured that out and i yeah. wanted to i wanted to understand it yeah For the rest of my life, I was fascinated with comedy. So, you know, when I got to high school, a little bit of performance, but, you know, mostly writing. I was, you know, wrote some satire, got to college, did some performance, again, sketch comedy mostly, uh, and some some theater. But then when I was coming out of grad school, I said, wait a second, you know what I really want to do is I want to work in an all-comedy network. And then I looked around and there wasn't one.
0: Right. And I said, whoa,
1: "Whoa, there's an all news channel. There's an all music channel. There's an all everything else channel. What the heck is going on here? Yeah. So I um, thought about it and came up with an idea of how I would do it and everything. And ruminated for probably three years before I actually mentioned it to anybody. But when I got to HBO... I had worked at CBS for a year before I got to HBO. When I got to HBO, I figured, hey, man, I'm like down the, down the hall practically from the people who do the programming, even right. though I was doing financial analysis. And I said, what the hell? I'm going to go pitch the head of programming. Her name was Bridget Potter. And I said, I'm going to go pitch Bridget on my idea. And I did. She gave me an appointment. I went to her office. I'm like, you know, this kid who doesn't know much about television or programming. And I said, hey, Bridget, I got an idea. Um, I think HBO should do an all-comedy network, 24-7 comedy. She goes, stop right there. Worst idea I've ever heard, and I'm going (laughs) to tell you why. And she spent the next 10 minutes telling me why it was the worst idea she ever heard. No comedian would want to be on it. Nobody wants to watch that much comedy. Plenty of comedy on television already. I mean, you know, she went through it, and they're too expensive thing. And that was, that was actually, you know, like any conversation you have with somebody about your idea, it gave me some information about, okay, here's some objections that right. I'm going to have to sort of figure out.
0: So did you ever get a chance to go back to Bridget and say, hey, Bridget, here's my really bad idea.
1: <laughs> it, it didn't happen exactly that way. I'll tell you how it did happen. Um, ultimately, Michael Fuchs heard about my idea And I got a chance to pitch him. I I hadn't prepared for it. Someone said, you got to pitch this to Michael and took me in his office. Um, And he liked the idea. So he said, look, get it together, figure out what you have to do. uh, And then give us a presentation in a couple of months about, you know, what it's going to cost and what it looks like and what the opportunities are. And I want you to give the presentation. Um, I said, fine. So we set up the presentation and there's about 30 executives in the room, including Bridget. (laughs) And. I give my presentation and there's like huge applause. And Michael's like, yeah, we're going to do this. I want this thing up and running in six months, which scared the hell out of me, as you can imagine. But before he did that, he said, I'm going to go around the room and I'm going to ask each of you what you think of the idea. And he starts with, you know, Larry Carlson. I love it. Uh, Stu Smiley had a problem. I think it's terrific. Okay. And he gets to Bridget. And she goes, <laughs> oh, Michael, I just think it's the greatest idea. And then he went on. And I'm like, "Ah!" (laughs) you know, it's worth pausing there, because it's interesting to think about why Michael did that, why he asked everybody in the room. He wanted to make sure he was making the decision to launch this thing with all of his all support, of the support he needed from his top executives. He looked each of them in the eye, and I'll never forget that. And it's a a good lesson for managers.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so now I'm going to ask this question because I haven't read your book yet, and everybody should read the book, especially if you love comedy. Um, So Mitzi at the Comedy Store also had a comedy channel about the same time. And I believe Comedy Central was originally going to be the comedy channel.
1: That's right. When we started at HBO, um, what other name could you possibly pick for an all-comedy network than the Comedy Channel? So we thought we were pretty slick. And in those days, you know, you you, you, didn't, you couldn't look up on the internet to see where all the other comedy channels were. You right? So you know, we just plowed ahead, thinking, "The hell, we're HBO. Who's going to bother us?" We get a phone call. It's Mitzi sure from you know from the comedy store and she says listen i gotta tell you guys i don't want you to use the name the comedy channel because i have a feed in my club of comedians so when people are waiting for the show to start i show that and i call it the comedy channel we hung up the phone and it was panic as you can imagine because we were like deep into putting this channel together we had materials we had promotions we had on-air we said, oh, my God, if we, have to, if we have to change the name now, it's going to cost us a million dollars. So the lawyer said, well, all we can do is, you know, we can go to court. It'll cost us a million dollars in court or see if she wants to settle. So they went to Michael Fuchs, and he said, all right, we're going to have to settle. And he picked a number, <laughs> and he was going to offer the number. It's in my book. See, that's why you have to read the book, because I'm not going to say the number.
0: Don't say the number.
1: <laughs> and if you read my book, it's in there. And the lawyer said, okay, we are going to offer Mitzi that number. And just before they called, Mitzi called and she said, you know what? I'm not going to do anything about this. Life is too short. She said, go ahead and use the name. And that was it. We never, we never made the offer. We never paid for it. She was cool. We were cool. The lawyers took complete credit for solving the problem. (laughs)
0: That's so awesome. Well, you know, one thing I do know uh, with Mitzi, it was never about the money. It was always about comics, and it was always about comedy. Um, you know, she but even helped. You know
1: what? That's admirable because yeah. if you're in this business to make money, you know, sometimes you don't. You no, have to be in this. You have to be in this business to love it, which is why I got into it because I love no, it.
0: Absolutely. I mean, she even actually helped set up the Laugh Factory with Jamie Masada. She g- gave him some old chairs and helped him because, like, she was all about comedy. So. Um, that's, that's such a great story. Um, and I've always wondered that little piece because I wasn't around when all that was happening. I was still a baby. Um, so let me ask you this, uh, were your parents supportive of you going into television and comedy? Did they, uh, you were a financial analyst. I th- believe you previously told me your dad was a CPA. So were they trying to get you to be like the smart and stable, uh, kind of job or what what was your childhood like in terms of encouragement and things about money and success?
1: Well, I grew up in the sixties, and in the sixties uh the idea was to pick a profession that was going to put you slightly ahead of the pack. You know you can become a doctor that 's the best because doctors make money you can become a lawyer that 's kind of second best c p a if you 're you know you 're out of ideas um, <laughs> after that there wasn't too much on the menu for my parents uh my mother was a piano teacher and she um was you know an artist i mean and the one thing she kept telling me is for god's sake don't go into the arts don't go into (laughs) entertainment don't go into media i mean she didn't say it exactly that way but she said you can't make money in it you know if you're an artist you go in because you love it but you'll you'll starve to death yeah and so I went to college, and I, I majored in economics, and I became an economist, which wasn't on the list either. My father said, oh, I hate economists. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. But anyway, I became an economist, and uh, I worked for three years in consulting in Washington, D.C., and I actually found myself making more money than I ever would have imagined. It wasn't a whole lot of money, but you know, when you're a college kid and you grew up sort of middle class, it's like, hey, I got a car. I got an apartment. They pay me every week. This is great. And I really did love it. I really yeah. did love being an economist. I was smart. I was, and those were my smart days. Um, but then I decided I wanted to do something else. I wanted to go into television. So I went back to business school, came out, and I got a job with CBS. Now, most of my friends at business school were going to Wall Street. Right. And they were making lots of money. And my father's expectation was that I would go to Wall Street and make lots of money. But I said, no, I'm going to CBS. I want to work in the entertainment industry. And I told him what I I was making at CBS, what the offer was. And he says, oh, wait a second. Isn't that pretty much like half as much as you were making as an economist in Washington two years ago before all this education? I said, yeah, dad, dad, it'll work out. It's all going to work out. But I was being paid nothing when I came out of business school. And my friends were like, are you crazy? Yeah. And I said oh, that's what I want to do, you know. If it doesn't work out, I'll do something else. That's all.
0: How did you have the uh the gumption to stick with it? Like what was the inner voice that said, everybody else is telling me go for the money, and there's a part of me that's saying go for what makes me happy, maybe?
1: I'll tell you the turning point for me um, was when I was in business school, actually. I didn't go back to business school necessarily to get into television, some form of entertainment. I didn't know what I wanted to do. But there was, I was at Wharton, and they had the Wharton Follies, which was a musical comedy review. Second year, I wrote the entire thing. And it was really, if I may say so myself, well-written and very funny and got a lot of great feedback. Now, I realize it's only that kind of a thing, but I also realized how much I loved writing comedy and how much... And the fact that I was good at it, you know, I sort of had a feeling for it. And I thought, okay, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm just going to do this. And I knew I wasn't a performer. I thought maybe I could be a writer. Uh, And then I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to go into the business and look around and see if I find something I like to do, which is what I did.
0: Well, that's awesome. And, you know, as as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, uh, most people would say uh, a financial analyst or a CPA, but like myself, can't be really all that funny. (laughs) because we're so you know we've got to be so uh uh left brain and it's like so did you get that did people like well you can't have a sense of humor you're you're an economist
1: bob Bob, you hit about six myths in that one sentence okay first of all (laughs) Two words for you. Bob Newhart. What was his profession?
0: Oh, my God. He was a CPA and he worked for the uh, State Board of Equalization of California Sales Tax. Okay.
1: Franz, Franz Kafka, <laughs> one of the funniest guys in the world. Yeah. He also was a bureaucrat. Actually, I'm kidding. He wasn't that funny. But he was he, – he had a day job. A lot of yeah. people have day jobs. Yeah. And – Funny people are all over the place. I don't know if you notice, but there's a lot of funny people. I, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of a few stories where, for example, Lenny Bruce used to say he was the second funniest guy he knew. But his, he had a friend who said was hysterical, was really his, his idol. So, you know, there's no shortage of funny people. I think the, the difference is, are there funny people who are willing to get on stage and have everyone look at them uh, or get on camera, even worse, you know, with extreme close-ups and everything? I mean, that's a leap. Yeah. being funny is important to people personally i have found yeah uh, certainly certainly my friends growing up all wanted to be funny certainly the guys and the women who were funny of course they were girls in high school i love the funny girls i yeah i always fell for the funny girls yeah. you know and and uh still do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm married <laughs> my wife's very funny but that's and, you know, <laughs> know what I mean. I mean you know comedy, its humor is such an important, integral part of life, and certainly my life. Um, that uh, no, it, it doesn't. It's not limited by what your occupation is. Absolutely not. Yeah.
0: And would you say um, early on you always wanted to be an entrepreneur? Like even though you were working in the confines of a nine to fiver?
1: <sighs> no, I, I wouldn't say that. You know, entrepreneurship was kind of a, a different kettle of fish in the 60s. You know, I mean, now kids grow up with, uh, you know, baseball cards with their favorite entrepreneurs on them. You know, Tesla and, uh, you know, and the guys, all those guys in Silicon Valley. We didn't, we had no, there was no role model that I can actually think of who was an entrepreneur. I mean, in my own hometown, there were a couple of, and I mean two wealthy guys. And they were both builders, you know, they they were right. real estate guys. They built track housing. Um, I sure as heck didn't want to do that. Uh, No, I don't think I ever wanted to be an entrepreneur. I think I wanted to be smart and useful in that order.
0: Yeah. And you talk about being an entrepreneur and an intrapreneur?
1: Yeah. You know, intrapreneur, is that's a term that I never heard until after I was one. Uh, And I think the term came up in the mid-90s. Okay after I had started comedy channel, but the, the, what an entrepreneur is, is someone who starts a business inside an existing company. So in my case, I started comedy channel inside of HBO and so much of being an entrepreneur is similar to being an entrepreneur. I mean, you have to be a visionary. Yeah. Meaning you have to see what the thing is going to become in 10 years, not tomorrow, but in 10 years, you have to be passionate about it. Because there's enough people who are going to tell you it's a stupid idea, it'll never work. This is going badly. Ask me about the first year of Comedy Channel. Um, You know, all kinds of things that are going to make Ordinary people who aren't visionary and passionate, I don't mean that as ordinary, I just meant people who aren't as invested in it as yeah. I was, say, okay, uncle, I'll stop, you know, I'll do something else. Um, so, yeah, that—that that, the difference is when you're inside a company, you not only have to do all those things, you have to navigate the politics of the company. Yeah. The good news is you're not you're not in the same resource starved position that you sometimes are as an entrepreneur. You're not raising money every three months. You're not asking for, you know, where can I hire a cheap accountant because you got a whole finance team behind you. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's the advantage. I will say this. I have worked at several companies in my life. Um, and I've also uh, been a consultant to several other companies, not necessarily in the entertainment business. Uh, and I've seen that, Companies have a really, very hard time starting new businesses inside yeah. for a variety of reasons. Number one, the idea of competing with themselves always comes up. You know, uh, new Coke and Coke. I don't know if you remember that whole yeah. thing. <laughs> but, you know, the remember. big question was, oh, my gosh, we're going to put out this new version of Coca-Cola. Are we going to compete with ourselves and end up worse off? That's, you know, that's one of the reasons. And
0: did you find, like, that other people within the uh, company were, yay, go Art, go, 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 or like, wow, how did he get so lucky? Or, like, were there high (laughs) fives?
1: I don't think anybody thought of me as lucky. Um, It was hard work, and it was – I was in the spotlight, which was something I had not – really bargained for and i was also i walked into the situation not knowing anything about the comedy business i know i loved comedy the first time i met Stu smiley who was uh the head of comedy programming at hbo they teamed us up first thing he said to me what do you know about comedy and he didn't say it in a nice way like i'm here to help (laughs) he said what the hell do you think you're doing um and I had to learn the comedy business while I was doing it. So I would say it was a mix. There were certainly a lot of people I, you know, worked with at, at HBO who were very enthusiastic about it. Everybody wanted it to succeed because Michael Fuchs, who was the chairman, wanted yeah. it to succeed. You did what he said. Right. But truthfully, you know, I'm, there were some skeptics. And and I think Stu was skeptical for a while. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and the first year was very hard. And a lot of people, including me, thought they were going to shut it down any minute.
0: Well, I was just going to ask that. Were there any moments of like, oh, my God, what have I done?
1: (laughs) Yes. Uh, Several, actually. Um, (laughs) When I first pitched Michael sort of inadvertently, you know, ended up in his office and he said, what are you talking about At Comedy Network? Pitched him the whole thing. And he said, hey, I like the idea. Let's see if we can, you know, take it to the next step. I I said, what have I done at that point? (laughs) Because I didn't really expect anyone to say yes. Right. Um, but I get the poker face, and I went about my business. The next time I think was really when we launched the launch of the of the Comedy Channel, and the day we launched, I was just so impressed by the fact that we had to come back and all the work we had done in the last nine months to put all this programming together, we had to come back the next day and do it all over again. Because you're 24 hours of comedy, you're constantly shoveling programming into that maw. And we didn't have that much to start with. So yeah, that was the other one.
0: (laughs) And what was your biggest, uh, I don't want to say like proud or pride, but like, yeah, when you look at the whole process, like what part do you feel like, you know what, this felt really accomplished or I feel really uh, happy that this happened?
1: I can certainly say that today. I mean, I get up in the morning, I don't think about it every day, but, you know, uh, April marks the 30th anniversary of Comedy Central. You know, so the idea that I can look in my rearview mirror and see something that I, you know, helped put together, started and then helped create it uh it, that it's still standing and not only that it's become kind of a cultural icon yeah. and has brought so many people happiness uh laughter and careers careers all the people who've been employed over the years and all the people who got to flex their creativity in ways that probably wouldn't have existed if there weren't a comedy central yes yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm very proud of all of that
0: yeah, that's awesome. I'm wondering if you've had any conversations with your dad since that talk about not going to Wall Street and taking half the money and uh, how your parents viewed it after the fact.
1: Well, of course, I've, I've had plenty of conversations with my dad about my life and career. I mean, most memorably, he said, I don't know, a few years ago when we were talking about it, he said, well, you've had a great career. You know, You've really done some wonderful things. So I think it came around to the whole idea, certainly, but along the way, again, my parents knew nothing about television, and they used to say to their friends and everybody else, "We have no idea what art does. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be making a living." What can I tell you? You know, um, and and for for their friends, and this is really an exaggeration, but you know, again, their generation—if you weren't a doctor or a lawyer—they didn't quite know what you did. Right. Uh, so uh, that was that was pretty much it. No, I listen. I think my parents were ultimately proud of of yeah. my uh, of my trajectory.
0: Did your parents, when you were a kid, talk a lot about money? Was that, did you guys have money conversations? Did you talk about goals and benchmarks or the meaning of money or the power of money? Like, what was that like growing up in terms of money?
1: It it wasn't really explicitly talked about, although the fact that my father was an accountant, you know, he was a CPA and was dealing with, uh, people who were, um, you know, at various points along the, the, the wealth scale, he had clients who were extremely wealthy. He had clients who were farmers, you know, and extremely poor. And I, I did spend some time working for him uh, when I was in high school. That that was really kind of the biggest uh the, the most complete view of, of money on a personal level that I saw, because he'd have clients come in and say, oh, my gosh, you know, hey, I can't pay you because I don't have any money or I, you know, I need help. The business is flailing. Um, as far as in the home about what we talked about money, yeah, I wouldn't say we talked a lot about money. I, I I always got the impression that my father spent a lot of money, whatever he had, and my mother saved a lot of money, whatever she could. And that was pretty much the dynamic. Um, And uh, that, that, that's it. I I don't know if I became, it's actually interesting. I have two brothers. I have one brother who's like me who doesn't like to spend money and finds it horrifying in any, you know, whether it's $10 or $10,000, it's like, I'd rather not thank you. Um, Yeah. And I have another brother who spends money like my father did, like, you know, hey, let's buy another car. That'll be fun.
0: (laughs) And did um, do you and your wife talk a lot about money? Did you ask her about money when you first got together? Um, Was that part of any conversations? Was there any conscious, uh, intentional conversation around money?
1: No, I, you know, we, we pretty much, we met, fell in love, and decided to get married. At the time, it was just before or just as I was putting Comedy Channel together at HBO. My career was certainly not, you know, preordained to be successful at that moment right um i was uh on the cusp of either being very successful or having to find other work essentially uh and i think she knew that and it just it wasn't a problem partly because she at that time was a consultant and making a nice living herself uh so it's neither of us expected that we would starve and neither of us projected that we would be well off, wealthy, or anything else, you know we just didn't know, but it wasn't primary consideration at all.
0: What would you have done different like if if there's anything if you said, "Oh, I wish I could have gone back and just tweaked this a little bit differently in terms of finances, I wished I had
1: yeah, I'm going to tell you something very personal. Um, I wish i wasn't so afraid of money. Uh, I really have a hard time with it I really have always been a little bit depressed by the whole concept i didn't like to deal with it now when i was working full-time at corporations you know i i I had to i spent less time on it just because i was working but since you know since i've retired um and even before that i will say all along i I just didn't like to do it i didn't like to balance the checkbook i didn't like to think about what we had to spend we were never um you know in tough shape we never were scraping for food or rent or anything although i was fired from comedy central um which is in the book i just gave you the last i just gave you the last chapter so now you don't (laughs) have to read the book previously you did have to read the book now you don't have to but anyway um and that was the first time in my life, actually the only time in my life I was fired and yeah. it was a shock and it was at that point, I had a wife, a mortgage, and a kid and right. so it uh, it was pretty difficult from a financial point of view to to stare down the barrel of that future because i didn 't know if I'd get another job right I did obviously that was that was the only time I was scared, but most of my most of my adult life I have been Really uncomfortable with money. And the funny thing is, you asked about my parents and their feelings about it. I think it must have been something going on in my house. I, I, I probably should talk to a psychiatrist about this. But a couple of years ago, I was out to dinner with my brother and his wife. And I was there with my wife and the check came. And I pulled out my credit card, didn't look at the check, and handed it to my wife. And my brother didn't look at the check. He pulled out his credit card and handed it to his wife. <laughs> I said, what are you doing? He says, I don't even look. I don't want to know. I don't know how much it costs. I just wanted to enjoy it. Melissa takes care of everything. I don't care. And that's, that's the way I do it now. My wife, yeah. Carrie, takes care of everything.
0: Yeah, no, I, you know, it's funny. I am sort of the same way uh when i take You're my staff right. out and when i take my staff out if i'm paying attention i'm like wait they had another drink um they had an app <laughs> so i have to just i i don't i don't deal with paying for it i mean i pay for it but yeah, i don't want to know the details because i'll be like wait they, they didn't eat their whole plate
1: <laughs> i'm going through everything oh, no. So you yeah. got the same disease I have. I, I mean, do. When it snows, I start panicking because the guy's going to come and plow. You know? <laughs> it's like, I hope it doesn't snow a whole lot because he's going to charge us more. It's just, you know, and of course, at this point, it's, you know, for me, actually, in the last 30 years, it's completely ridiculous to think that way. Yeah. To not buy a shirt because it costs $25 is, yeah. you know, it got ridiculous, or to, especially when it was something I needed. And my wife said, oh, for God's sake, just buy the thing, will you? And that's, that's the way I live. That's the yeah, way I live.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, my, my, my benchmark is 25 bucks, shirts and pants. Yeah, really? <laughs> Over well, that, I, I start to panic.
1: <laughs> I haven't bought clothes in two years. It's been great.
0: <laughs> Who needs them? Who needs <laughs> them? <laughs> uh, well, we're at our fast five. So I've got five okay. fast questions. Uh, just uh, top of the mind. Um, here we go. What was the last podcast you listened to?
1: Uh, it was called li- living out loud.
0: Okay. Uh, if you could choose to do anything for a day, what would it be?
1: I would say go scuba diving.
0: Cool. Uh, I'd be afraid of the shark, so it would have to be in my pool. Um, <laughs> if you had to choose one chore, would it be cleaning, cooking, or yard work?
1: Cooking. All right. What's Love the it. most
0: expensive thing you ever bought for yourself personally, not including a car or a house?
1: Piano. Ah. I bought. I bought a nice piano.
0: That's a good investment. I play the piano. Love it. Uh, what's the most daring thing you've ever done?
1: Starting the comedy channel, I would have to say, is the most <laughs> daring thing that I've ever done.
0: Yeah, that's and, and uh, it paid off.
1: Yes. Yes, <laughs> it, it did. Paid off for everybody. What?
0: So, if we're at, um, we have our M M&M and M moment, our money and motivation sweet spot, what would be a practical piece of um, advice you would give, or a wealth wealth wisdom, something that you've learned along the way? Um, you know, something like handing your wife the bill and letting her deal with the emotions of uh, of running up the charge. But are, are is there something out there that, like, you wish maybe somebody had said to you when you were younger?
1: Yeah. You know, and it's going to be, it's it's a really simple thing. And it's, it's about saving and the idea that if you start saving when you're 20, instead of when you're 40, you're going to end up with so much more money at the end that you can rely on. And I know that's hard. It's hard for most people to save partly because it's easy to spend, partly because you don't have a lot of disposable income all the time, but even when you don't have much, Put something, put a buck aside a week, put anything and put it in a place where it has a chance to earn some money, not the bank, you know, but find your way to some to to the stock market as quickly as you can, because the chances are that's going to grow beautifully over the 50 or 60 years you watch it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And leave it in
1: there. (laughs) Yeah, don't touch it when when the stock market crashes. Don't don't even look.
0: Don't even look. You got to keep, got to keep going. Well, I, you know, I, so like, I so appreciate you coming on. I so appreciate hearing the story. And and again, I recommend everybody go out and read the book. I'm going to go read the book. Uh, I have a personal investment in in knowing the rest of the story. Um, but you know, one of the things that I'm really, uh, appreciate uh, what you talked about is what I really heard was even though there have been things you've been afraid of, or even if dealing with money sometimes isn't the most fun, um, even when you're being an analyst, you're still following your passion. You're still looking for what makes me happy, uh, probably what makes me laugh, and um, and, and still going for it. Because I think a lot of people out there think that you don't have to be afraid or you have to have all the answers to go forward. And the truth is we're all just sort of winging it uh, when we're going out there. I mean we have an idea, but we're going blind. We're going out there blind, I think.
1: Listen, I think everybody has those moments throughout their career. It's it's, it's the idea that you're faking it. Yeah. That whatever you're doing, you're getting away with it, or you're not smart enough, or you're not as smart as the other guy, or all of those things. They occur to everybody, uh, no matter who you are, no matter what you've started, because that's the way humans are built. So if you're going to let that stop you, that's not going to be helpful.
0: Not going to help. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Where can people find you online and social media?
1: Well, we can start with my website, artbellwriter.com. I'm on Facebook as Art Bell Author. I have a a Facebook page, Art Bell Author. And um, they can buy my book at Amazon. Uh, And the book, again, is called Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. It's a memoir. It's personal. It's funny, and I think it's uh, I think it's a great read, and I certainly recommend it. So go out and buy it, and you can find out more about, as I said, more about me on Amazon. You know, my biography is all over the place. So, uh,
0: well, that's awesome, and we'll be sure to put up links and all that so we can get get it to people easy. Um, I so appreciate it. Uh, I want to say to our listeners, please don't forget to share the love. Follow us on. Give us a like on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player. Visit Apple Podcasts and search for Money You Should Ask or click on the link below. If you prefer to watch our episodes, head over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. For more tips, tools, or to learn how to have a healthier relationship with money, visit themoneynerve.com. That's nerve, not nerd. Moneynerve.com. Art. It's been such a pleasure. I so appreciate getting to connect.
1: Thank you so much. You too. Thank you.